It's so fun to be here today. How many people here um, have no idea who I am? You've never heard me speak. And um, so I can say anything I want to say. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, so a few of you do know me, huh? If you know me or have ever read anything I've ever done, raise your hand. Oh, hi. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm sorry. Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> oh, okay, great. <laughs> I just saw my sweet friend and administrator over there. Um, well, I am thrilled to be here today. Holly mentioned that we've been friends for many years. We have. It's, it's just so much fun to look back on my years here. We actually have a house and monument, and we have um, a fairy house in Oxford. And the reason it's a fairy house is where we live in Oxford, and I'll be going back in a couple of weeks there, hopefully. Um, but I, my daughter, Sarah, I'm going to go through my children so that when I mention them today, you'll know who they are. I, uh, Sarah is my first child. She's 37. And she is married to a vicar. Think of all of the PBS movies that you've ever seen. And uh, she's married to a vicar, and he's from um, the Netherlands. So they live in a tiny little town, and um, she has had three children in the last three years. So that's a story in and of itself. <laughs> and um, she lives uh, a ways away from me. But she had said when she was 11 years old, I want to move to Oxford. Um, that's where C.S. Lewis was. That's where Tolkien was. That's where all the great writers were. I'm going to move there. And I said, well, good luck, honey. You know, I'll pray for you. <laughs> Never thinking that that would work out. Uh, to make a long story short, eventually she did move there. She got her undergraduate degree in Oxford. And then um, she was asked to stay to do a master's in theology where they said, we will give you a full scholarship, which never happens. Um, yeah, so that was really fun. But anyway, um, so Sarah is a, a writer, and anyway, she lives there, and she has her three little ones. And then there's Joel. He's my six-foot-five Renaissance man, and he lives in St. Andrews in Scotland, where he is a composer. He graduated from Berklee College of Music in Boston, um, went to St. Andrews, is about to finish his Ph.D. in the next little while, and um, he's going to actually live in Oxford with, with my husband and me this year because it's free rent. And he, <laughs> he only has six more months to finish his doctorate. And he said, I could save $10,000 because, uh, as you all know, in the past few months, you may not know this, the dollar has gone down so much overseas that things are quite a bit more expensive than they were. Um, so he composes music, and he's done film scoring for Hollywood, and he also does uh, choral music. And then um, there's Nathan. He's my ADHD, ODD, OCD Oh my goodness, child. Um, in case any of you have a child who's out of the box, and I learned so much about the Lord's unconditional love by learning how to love Nathan unconditionally. <laughs> but if the Lord had just said, Sally, he's going to be an actor and a film producer, and that's why he's so crazy while he's growing up. Because Nathan um, is also, all my kids are writers. But he has produced film, and he also lives in, in uh, New York City and is still an actor, does um, film, and writes books with his wife, who's an opera singer and who's also an actress. So they live there, and, and they are so much fun. They just stayed with me for four and a half weeks. Uh, we had lots of fun together. And then um, when I was uh, almost 42, Nathan said, Mommy, I think you should have another little girl. And I said, well, mommy's kind of getting old. And um, I'd had three miscarriages. And I said, you know, honey, things are kind of falling apart. And um, he said, but mommy, you told me that I was supposed to believe in prayer. And so he said, why don't we pray together, mommy? And I'm going to see if God will give us another little girl. So six weeks later, I was throwing up. And um, this little girl became Joy. So it's three children, three miscarriages, and Joy. And um, Joy just graduated from St. Andrews. She got her PhD there, and she is going to be a teaching in Oxford. And she's also the editor of a magazine here in the States. And um, so those are my kids, so that you can kind of know when I'm telling you a story. Um, but anyway, I, I had 
been in missions forever. Uh, I had, had become a believer through the ministry of a student ministry when I was in college. And they challenged me to move overseas to Vienna, Austria, where I then traveled to Romania, Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, Hungary, and Poland during the Iron Curtain times. I am very ancient. Um, and so I cut my teeth on discipleship and mentoring in these countries when we were smuggling Bibles. And I, we, I had a, a secret room in my apartment. It was a bookcase that you pushed and it bounced open, and then we had two single beds inside my apartment where we could keep people. <laughs> it sounds like I'm making it up. Everything in my life sounds like I made it up. <laughs> um, I really do that. I, none of this has really happened. I just like people to know. <laughs> I'm teasing. But um, anyway, so when I became a mom, I was almost 31, and I had never changed a diaper um, I had never, uh, I had only brothers. I was the youngest in my family. But because I had spent so many years in mentoring people in communist countries and working with people in different executive positions here in the United States and stuff, I thought, Clay and I, this is how idealistic we are. We were, we had lived in Vienna for seven years. And we were talking one night. Actually, I had lived there seven years. He was only supporting me during that time, praying that we would get married. <laughs> and then we lived there three more years. But um, we were talking one night, and he said, you know, if God ever gives us kids, we need to disciple them like we've been discipling people. We need to so impact their lives because both of us grew up in church, but neither of us became believers until we were in college. And so he said, you know, we both talked about the fact that we wanted to have an organic home where they breathed the love of Jesus because we loved them well, where they could hear, they could hear the messages of Christ because we talked about them all the time, where um, they would, when they, we would see the sunrise or the sunset, we would talk about the Lord. And so um, discipleship and a love for Christ became this idealistic um, form in our minds that we thought, when slash if we have children, this is what we will do. We will we will idealistically bring the life of Christ into our home because it was the message of Christ that changed our lives. Well, fast forward, and uh, we had, um, I think at this time, oh yeah, so I had Sarah, and she was made in Europe, born in America. And then Joel was made in Europe, born in Vienna. And then we were working at a, a church staff in California and um, where Nathan, all of my children are like the city where they were birthed. And so Nathan was made in California, born in California. Um, and so he was near Hollywood when he was in the hospital. So I think there was something synergetic that was happening at the time. <laughs> I just didn't put the two together. And um, so anyway, uh, Clay, we were working at a church, and Clay was working about 70 hours a week. That was a standard. And um, that meant that I was home with these three children under five, ear-infected, asthmatic. Um, you know, they were just constantly sick, and I didn't have very many friends. And um, I had opened this book that was Little House on the Freeway. And I thought, that's me. I'm a little house on the freeway, and no one knows I'm here. So um, my son Nathan was just very little. Um, I'm probably three or four months old. And I thought, I need to go visit somebody who will help take care of my kids and me, because I am, I am just going to burst apart. So I made this trip. Clay said, you can go stay with my mom. I didn't know his mom very well. And it's probably good that I didn't. Um, but anyway, she, she was the sweetest woman probably on the spectrum, and I didn't, we didn't even know what the spectrum was in those days. Um, but she lived out in the country um, in this tiny little town. Now, you have to understand, I had been living in, in Warsaw and in Krakow and in Vienna. and I mean, we had been living in all these big cities, and in Denver and Nashville and L.A. And, you know, we had cut our teeth on big cities and she lived in a little town that was 614 people, if you counted all the dogs and cats. And um, the, the thing that this town was known for was that they, they would hunt rattlesnakes every spring to take the venom out of rattlesnakes. 
Um, there were more critters there. There were um, spiders the size of your hand. There were snakes. There were armadillos. There were, you know, I mean, it, it was just, it, it was not the most civilized place in the world. And, um, and so that's what I was flying to for my relief. So, you know, I, I'm on the plane, you know, with my three children under five, and, you know, they're crying and screaming, and I thought, but it'll be better there. So I, I get to Walnut Springs. This does have a point. I get to Walnut Springs, and it was in August. And that was the famous August where it was over 110 degrees 10 days in a row. And I am allergic to heat. Um, it makes me sinful. <laughs> Is anybody else like that? You know, if I have to sweat, I'm kind of like, what do you want? You know, I, I just don't do heat well. So I was really trying because, you know, I had been a missionary, so I thought I should be very spiritual. And um, so I had awakened one morning. Nathan um, awakened at 5 o'clock in the morning. And I went in to nurse him. And he was the kind of little boy, because of all of his issues, that you, when you put him down, you kind of went. You know, because you did not want him to wake up. Because that would mean he'd be screaming for a long time. He cried until he was four. Didn't sleep through the night until he was four. And so anyway, I had just put Nathan to sleep. And my mother-in-law had this little attic room in her farmhouse. And um, that's where Sarah and Joel were. And you know how when children haven't been in a place very long, they're kind of uncomfortable and they get up too much. And so Joel came tumbling down the stairs that went into the kitchen, which is right next to Nathan's bedroom. He said, Mommy, Mommy, I've had diadita all over everything. So do you all know what diadita is? <laughs> so it was everywhere. You know, I mean, it was on the sheets. And, and of course, when he's screaming this, he wakes up Nathan, and Nathan's like, wah, 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 wah. you know, it wasn't just a wah, 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 wah. Um, and so, you know, and his little diaper's hanging off halfway, so I know that it's on everything. So, you know, I'm already feeling stressed. I hadn't even perked my first cup of tea, and uh, Sarah came down after him, and she said, Mom, I'm having one of my famous bloody noses. And literally, it was gushing, you know, when you're in this really dry Texas heat. And, um, and so she said, and somebody was in my bed with something really stinky. And so Nate, Joel had been in her bed to see if she's awake and, and, you know, I mean, all of these different things. This is a true story. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't even know where to put the word spiritual into this scenario. And so anyway, I... Um, you know, I remember for the next two and a half hours, you know, I'm cleaning things, I'm washing sheets, and I'm doing, you know, putting Nathan back to sleep four times, and um, all of a sudden, Joel comes in, and he goes, uh-oh, oh, uh-oh, uh-oh, mommy. He's two years old. He had spilled a whole bottle of Pepto-Bismol on my mother-in-law's new carpet. And, um, you know, I mean, I don't know if you've had days, years, months like that, but um, that was my introduction to motherhood. You know, we were going to have an organic talk about Jesus and show his love. And, um, and then this, this was our home. Um, and, and so I was standing in the kitchen just trying to figure out what, was, you know, what I was going to do. And I had turned around to the kids and I said, now look at my eyes. If you don't get a better attitude, I'm going to put you right back to sleep. And you're going to stay there the rest of the day. I mean, whatever I was saying, I was saying something like that. And I thought, it wasn't them that was having a bad attitude. <laughs> anyway, and so at that moment, my mother-in-law came in. She said, honey, I am so sorry. It was a Sunday, but the air conditioner has broken. And I've just tried to call four other people, and we can't get anything for until Tuesday morning. And so I, I just remember at that point, I looked at my clock, my watch, and it was about 9.15. And I remember thinking, oh, it's three hours till nap time, you know. And um, so I called my husband and I said, you know, thinking he was the one I was getting away from because he was never home. And I said, I don't know what we're going to do, but I really need a plan. I need a plan. 
And as I look back now, um, and I just wrote a book, Oh, Holly, would you grab a Help, I'm Drowning? I just wrote a book called Help, I'm Drowning. This is, this is my 24th book, because every time I have a shower, I think of something else that needs to be said. Uh, my shower is my place where nobody is there but me. I can think. and, and um, So anyway, I just wrote this book because um, as I look back on my life as a mom, I wasn't prepared to be a mom. Were any of you? I mean, a lot of people were. Um, I wasn't. I didn't know what it would be like. I didn't know um, that it was relentless. You know, before that time, I had had a professional life, and I could go home on the weekends. And I remember one day I said to Clay, I said, I said, you know what I just realized? And he said, what? I said, I realized the kids are never going to go home on the weekends. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like, I remember thinking, what's wrong with my life? Um, but anyway, I... Um, as I look back, and uh, the whole reason I wrote Help, I'm Drowning is I felt like I went through a lot of emotional and spiritual battles um, through all the years, whether it was the difficulty and the isolation in motherhood, all the, all the different ways that people have these very strong convictions in motherhood, um, all the ways that you have to compare yourself to other people. Um, and I'm an idealist, have always been an idealist. Uh, just the fact that my children were all ear-infected asthmatics, um, that, which meant that they were in and out of the hospital. I had to have emergency equipment in my home. Uh, I, we moved 19 times, seven times internationally. And so we were always the new kids on the block. And um, meant that I was always having to find new kids for my kids' friends. And when I look back on my life, I've had such a blessed life. I've had a great life. But if I had known at the beginning what it was going to be, I could never have believed it. Um, I could, because I had told God when I became a believer, it was totally life-changing for me. Because I had grown up in a performance-oriented sort of family. And um, I had thought, you know, if I ever, if somebody ever knew me, and loved me as I was. That's all I've ever longed for. Because I felt like no matter what I did, it was never good enough. No matter what I did, it was never, you know, I, I kind of had a little bit of a situation in my home where nothing I did was ever quite admired. Or, you know, my mom used to call me and say, how's your hair? Are you getting your, you keeping your hair taken care of? And I have very straight hair. It's, as you can see, I, I love having short hair in Oxford. We don't have a car. We have to walk everywhere. It rains every day. So I just cut it really short and wear big earrings so that it'll seem like I'm a girl. Um, but I love being able to have really short hair. And I don't have to answer to my mom for my hair anymore. But anyway, what I mean is that she would ask me these questions about how are you taking care of yourself? How's your weight? How's your this? How's your that? And so... When I found out that God loved me, just as I was, he had no expectations of me. I could fail. I could make mistakes. Um, I could grow. It absolutely transformed my life because I had always been longing for unconditional love. So fast forward, um, you know, the thing is, I had said, Lord, I am your girl this, I will go anywhere, I will do anything. And then my life started falling apart, you know, all the kids and all the different things. And so the reason I wrote this book is because I feel like if somebody had prepared me to know that I was entering warfare, you know, I think that raising godly children is warfare, um, that, that I would be isolated, that I would have times of loneliness, I would have times of failure, I would have times... If somebody had just told me that and helped suit me to prepare me for the battles, I would have been so far ahead. But, and so that's why we ended up doing this ministry for the last 25 years to moms, because Clay and I both believe that moms are the civilizers of the world. We think that what you do and who you are is more profoundly important than you will ever know until you get to be 68 like I am. Um, and so, you know, as we, we had our discipleship background, and um, then we had our, you know, our chaos, and then I was struck in Genesis 1 where God says, um, fill the earth, basically is talking about filling it with people, have babies, have a bunch of babies, uh, and subdue it. 
And I, I thought a lot about that verse, about subduing means to bring order out of chaos. It means to bring light into darkness. It means to bring civilization. Now, if you think about the word civilizers, and, and as you look at Proverbs 9, it's such a, a beautiful passage because in Proverbs 9, um, first of all, all the way through Proverbs, wisdom is always personified as a woman. Did you know that? It says, wisdom, she. Start noticing it. Wisdom, she did this. Wisdom, she did that. In Proverbs 8, it has wisdom standing beside Christ, who's the creator. It says, and, and, um, and wisdom says, I was ever his delight. And we were creating the world, basically. So you have this beautiful picture of marriage where you have wisdom as the central piece of creation with the creator. And they're doing, it's a sort of a dance when they bring all this beauty into the world. So I started going through scripture and I started reading passages and I thought, oh, I was created to be a civilizer. And a civilizer is somebody who brings, um, who brings moral virtue, who brings order, and who brings beauty to an advanced degree. When you civilize something, you're bringing out its potential. And so I started looking at my role, and I, I realized human beings, a person who's made in God's image, if God has designed your personality specifically unique from anybody else in this room or in the whole world, you have individual uh, fingerprints. You have preferences that maybe nobody else in this room has. If, if God had created each human being to have the capacity to be able to bring civilization into the world, to bring light into the darkness, uh, to be salt. Jesus said, you are the salt of the world, to bring taste into a tasteless culture. And so to make a long story short, I would start reading all these passages, and I thought, why isn't anyone talking about this? Why isn't anybody teaching these things? And so as I was learning all these things, I was teaching and I was writing books. And um, I'm kind of going to just give you a very quick rundown today of some things I wanted to say to you. But I think no matter what political side you're on, no matter who you voted for, no matter if you have a vaccine or not, or if you whatever, okay, we're going to put all those aside. No one's going to tell any secrets about themselves in those areas. Um, but no matter what you believe, I think we would all agree that the past couple of years have been chaotic, that there has been devastation, there has been um, harm to human beings, there, there has been vitriol and hate put forward. And when I look at the world, and it seems to be falling apart in many areas, I truly believe, and the reason I believe it is because we meted it out, we worked it out in our home with all the um, ups and downs that life brings, but we said to our children, you were created in the image of God. You have capacity to think well, to live well, to become virtuous. You have capacity to use your agency. Agency is our ability to decide, our ability to make decisions. You aren't a victim of your story unless you decide to be. You have agency to become a person in God's hands to, to bring beauty and civility to the world. And I really believe that as the home goes, so goes the nation, so goes the world. Because we are those women who have called by God. You know, you look at Proverbs 9 and she says, wisdom has built her house and, and she has filled it with all beautiful things and she invites people into her home and she says, come into my home and I will teach you. And so I began gathering all of, this, all of these images and I began um, thinking, that's what I want to do. That's what I was created to do to civilize, to live into my capacity as a person created in the image of God to be able to bring his kingdom to bear. Because I told God, I'm all in. That's the thing. When you believe in Christ, you can't be 20% in. Uh, you can't be 50% in. Either you're all in or you're not. 
either everything in your life belongs to God or you are living for yourself. And I, I did understand that when I became a believer because it, Jesus had so transformed my life. And, and so as I look back now, I realize that God was leading me to these messages because the world needs mothers who are going to stand up and say, the greatest thing I can do is to disciple, to civilize, to train, to inspire the human beings that God has entrusted into my life so that they can go into the world and bring order from chaos, beauty from ugliness, love from hate, light in the darkness. And so if you don't think of anything else today, what I want you to know is our wonderful, amazing God created you to take life into your hands. Why in the world did God create children to be absolutely, totally dependent when they're born? They can't live without you. They can't become without you. They, their intelligence is shaped by the way that you hold them, by the way you kiss their head. Did you know the more everybody gets your baby out, the more times you kiss a baby's head, the more intelligent they become? I just was reading an article on that. Isn't that the sweetest thing in the world? So, you know, if you make a whole bunch of mistakes or are impatient with your child, just go kiss their head 10 times and everything will be okay. But um, the more I've studied babies, because as I said, I had knew nothing about it. And the thing is, I didn't know how to do it. But we decided that we wanted to write the kind of books that we wished that we had had. Because right now, all of our children, by God's grace, in spite of our many mistakes, are walking with God. Each of them are writing books. They are speaking. They are teaching. They are promoting the kingdom of God. Because in the end, we were able to so live in front of them. I, my, um, you know, it, you, your children are going to confront you with your weaknesses along the way. You know, that's just going to happen, especially when they're teenagers. They are so smart when they're teenagers. Um, and as I look back on the time when I had babies, the chaos that I was experiencing then, that was just training grounds. That wasn't exceptional. That was just training grounds for all the other journey I was going to have to go through. But eventually you develop muscle and grit. And um, you either give up or you say, no, I'm going to be the one. Because God has entrusted the kingdom to me. God has given me a personality. So I'm going to quickly go through today. I don't know. Is there a clock in here? Um, where is it? I should... Well, it's, in theory, I should be able to see that, but. <laughs> 10, 21, I can actually see it. I'm just teasing. Um, I'll put my little walking. I can't walk right now. I'm a, a neurotic person, for those of you who know me. I was the ADHD, ODD, OCD child before my son Nathan. So that's why I had compassion on him. And actually, I have a book back there called Different. He came to me one day and he said, Mom, we need to write a story because we get so many letters. And I said, what should we call it? And he said, different, the story of an out-of-the-box child and the mom who loved him. So I could love him because I was different. But anyway, um, so I was, one of my kids came to me one day and they said, you know, Mom, they said, you were the Bible that I read. You were the Jesus that I knew. You were the truth that I believed. And he said, there isn't a message that people can shove down their children's throats if they haven't seen the authentic life of Christ in and through their words, their home, their behavior, their messages. And he said, thank you for following hard after Christ. Because in reading your life, I came to know him. And so what I, I want you to think about today, because yes, our lives are made up with many tasks. And um, our lives do blow apart on a regular basis, because every day your children are going to want to eat. Every single day. Um, and every day they're going to want to wear reasonably clean clothes. 
and live in a safe home that isn't infected with bacteria because it hasn't been cleaned. Um, I, I know I'm kind of teasing, but kind of not. Housework was my relentless. My kids said that the only times they remember me yelling at them, you know, like they said, if you ever yelled at us, I'm sure I only did it once, but um, they said it was dishes. They said, if you walked into the kitchen and there were dirty dishes in the sink or, or you know, mugs or, or dishes, you know, throughout the house, that's when you would go crazy. And, and so I just felt like, you know, for me, the hardest thing was that housework was never over. Has anyone else felt like that? And um, I remember I was going into the house of a woman who actually taught me a lot. I was living in Vienna, and we I walked into her home, and there was this coffee table, and it had toys and Legos and, you know, little cups and all this stuff all over it. And she literally did this. She went, I am so happy that you're here. She took her arm <laughs> and everything went on the floor. And she said, right now, you're the most important person. You know, I mean, that was a lesson that I stored in the back of my mind. But anyway, I just want to um, talk to you and ask you to think through our are you the book that you want your children to read about Christ? Are you the words that Jesus would say? Um, I think it's so important for us to understand, and I'm, I'm thinking in light of the past couple of years. I have pretty much been embarrassed by a lot of things that I've seen online that Christians have represented as Christian. Because one of the things that I fell in love with when I became a Christian was Christ. He, he became real to me. God is the one who created us. I mean, the, the word love is hundreds of times written in Scripture. The word heart is, I think it's 800 times in Scripture. God says that he wants us to love him with all of our heart. He's the God who is walking in the garden looking for Adam and Eve because he wanted to companion them. He's the God who, when he came to the earth, he walked the roads, he lived the life, he fed the disciples, he washed 120 dirty men toes. The next time you have to wipe a bottom or toes, just remember that Jesus hasn't asked you to do anything that he hasn't already done. And so I, I just said, Jesus, I want a parent like you parent me because I want my children to know Christ. And so I would read a passage, and it said that he, and he took the children into his arms, and he blessed them. And he said, of these are the kingdom of God. Children are important to Christ and that's why he gave mothers who are the civilizers of the world who have the ability to give birth and to nurture and to feed because he knew that we were really the best ones. You're supposed to laugh at that point. <laughs> no, I'm teasing, kind of. Um, my husband's pretty amazing. But anyway, um, as, I, as I look at all of this, I realize that I just want to go through quickly some of the thoughts that I've had um, about the two things that Jesus said were the most important things. You shall love the Lord your God. He said, this sums up all of the things you're supposed to do. All the law and the prophets. You think of a rule, it's in here. You think of something that's important, it's in these two things. And so first of all, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with your heart, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that was pretty much an anchor for everything that I did to show Christ in my life. So let's just take that apart really quickly. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. It says in Scripture, guard your heart, for from it flow the springs of life. Guard it, because for from it flow the springs of life. And what does it mean to love God with all of our heart? I had my sweet little Joy. Um, she's just so much fun. And so I am neurotic. I think I told you that earlier. I, um, 
I was so proud of myself because last year I had a physical before I went back to Austria. I mean, to um, we lived in Austria too long, to England. And they said, oh, your blood pressure is low. You're, um, you're never going to have diabetes. You're, you know, I mean, she, they just went through, you're the healthiest person I know. And so I was really proud of myself. And then um, I, I walk five to ten miles a day because I don't have a car. And we have to meet people. And we have to go places. But also I would go on an extra walk in the morning and an extra walk at night because then I could eat whatever I wanted to. But also I just love walking. It, it's just something that I can pray, I can do. And so I was just so proud when I went back to, um, to the UK because I thought, oh, man, I'm, I'm so healthy. This is wonderful to be healthy. I didn't know if I would be or not because I was a premature child. I was born at 29 weeks in a time when I wasn't supposed to live. So I didn't have a lot of health growing up. And so um, anyway, to make a long story short, one day my six foot five son had found a sale in Oxford on shirts, and he had to have these shirts. So we had had breakfast together, and he was running as fast as he could because it was pouring down rain. And so I'm sitting back here trying to keep up with his pace, at which point I hit a grate, and I slid, and then I went flat down on my face all the way to the ground in in front of a whole crowd of people. And it was so cute because they all went, "Oh, oh, my gosh. You know, I'm looking at with a wet face from the rain. Anyway, so what that undid was they said, I went to the doctor, and it's a long story. I'm not going to go into the whole thing. But eventually they said, you have and have had for years osteoarthritis. And there is no cushion between your bones. You are walking bone on bone. Um, as a matter of fact, you won't ever be able to walk again if you don't quickly have a hip replacement. And so, you know, here pride goes before a fall, literally, in this situation. <laughs> so I found out I couldn't get a hip replacement in the UK for, um, I think it was two years. And I didn't want to go two years. Uh, so I came back here, found out the hospitals here were really backed up. But I got, by God's grace, I got a cancellation from someone. So that's what this is. And then a couple of weeks ago, oh, four weeks ago, I, I had this thing, I thought it was kind of like a blackhead or something. I could feel it, but I couldn't see it. And um, so I went in to get this thing removed, and the lady said, oh, that's a cancer. So she dug it out and said, oh, it's fine, you know. Well, then they found it. It wasn't fine, and it was serious. So I'm going to tell you that this is the coolest thing now. Instead of wearing ear cuffs or nose rings, you can go get a really pretty stitching on your face. But anyway, so had to go back in for a second surgery a few days ago because this, they had to get the roots deep down in my jaw. So anyway, and um, so, you know, life is never as you expect. But all that to say, I'm going on too long for this story. But all that to say, my daughter Joy, who just graduated from with her PhD from Scotland. Does anybody know Joy or follow her or listen to her podcasts or... Oh, you should. She's amazing. You will be so inspired. She's really fun. But anyway, she was supposed to take a job in Washington, D.C., and she went there to an executive meeting and decided not to for many reasons. So it ends up, by God's grace, she was here with me for three weeks. And so Clay didn't have to wash every dish and feed me every single thing and put on my jeans every day because I can't bend over. Joy and I have just been sitting. We've been giggling. And last night... She came into my room, and she said, I'm going to put you to bed. We, we have always put our children to bed with a blessing every single night of their lives. So she came in. She crawled into bed next to me, and she put her arm around me. And she kissed my cheek, and she said, Mama, I think I love you more than anyone in the world. I'm so grateful for you. Can I pray for you tonight? <sighs> yes. So she, I felt so, I felt so loved because I've been trying to be brave and, oh, it doesn't hurt too much, um, you know, and I've been try, I can't do a thing, I can't bend over, I can't do anything. And here she was in my room giving me the love that she felt in her heart, making me a priority because she had decided to love me. When it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, when you love someone with all your heart, it's what joy did. You serve them, you think about them, you bless them, you bless them with words, you bless them with deeds, 
you bless them with sincerity because they are so dear to you that you want to serve them and love them your whole life. Now, I'm going to throw that out to you. Does God know that you love him with all your heart? Do you have time in your life? Are you making time that when God is walking in the garden looking for companionship, that he'll say, I know Sally's going to be there. I know she is. She loves me. Now, there are things that interrupt those quiet moments, right? There's so many busy things. But as I look back on my life, when my kids were saying, Mama, you are the book that we believed. You are the Jesus we knew, so on and so forth. It was only because early in my process of becoming a believer, somebody told me, they said, when, when you make a habit to spend time with God, when you uh, say every day I'm going to try to make a little time with him because I love him and he wants us to love him with all of our heart, they said, think about an estate, a castle with you know, stables and, and, you know, with whatever it is, just a big, huge estate. And they said, that estate is built one brick at a time. And they said, it, and, and they said to me, if you, if you spend every day five minutes, God, you are my God. God, I am upset today. God, help me with this person. Help me with this situation. I'm tired. Lord, can you help me? And if you read his word, you are putting a brick in the legacy of the estate of your life every single day. One of my, um, what's the book where if you, uh, he talks about if you have 10,000 hours, you've become an expert? Malcolm Gladwell's book. And what's the name of that one? What is it? Outliers. Malcolm Gladwell said that if you spend 10, that the people who've really impacted the world are the people who have spent 10,000 hours in something. Like Bill Gates spent 10,000 hours fiddling around with a computer. He didn't go to college and learn it. He learned it there. And so one of my boys was reading that book one day, and they said, Mom, I calculated, and even if I gave you three weeks of vacation a year, you have already spent 16,485 hours in Scripture. That makes you an expert. You see, it's not that you have to spend hours every day. It's that you lay one brick a day, that you say, I love you, and therefore I'm going to meet with you, God. Do you have a message for me? And the thing I want you to know, and, and I did write about it in Help I'm Drowning, is that it's okay to lament. Jesus cried. Um, Jesus mourned. He said, how oh, I've longed to gather you as chicks into my fold, but you would not. The Psalms are filled with his Psalm, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It is okay to be sad in a broken world. But we have to get to a point where we live in the love and the graciousness and the goodness of God. One of the reasons you want to live in the love of God is because you're going to fail. Has anybody ever failed at least once this year? At least once. And the thing is, God's love, his unconditional love, calls you to your best self. One of the things I want to say, and I'm just kind of going off the grid right now, but one of the things I want to say is that we live in a world of comparison. Why did God give you unique fingerprints and a unique DNA? Is it because he wanted you to compare yourself and to try to be like everybody else? Does God care that you're like everybody else? Does he care that you try to fulfill someone else's destiny? He absolutely doesn't. As a matter of fact, you can't live in his love well unless you decide to like who you are. And, and that's one of the things I did do for my children because since I had never felt unconditional love, I wanted them to know that who they were right now before they became mature was the person I loved them to be. Because I, I realized that there was a time in poor little Nathan's life, he just couldn't ever stop talking. 
And so he'd get in trouble for talking and he'd get in trouble for arguing. Every night at our dinner table, I wanted to talk about this book because it's really an important book. All my books are important, don't you know it? Um, but the life-giving table, Clay and I ate meals with our children every night at our dinner table, no matter what, because we felt like if you have those thousands of time to access to your children's brains, don't you want to disciple them and talk about interesting things? What did you think about that movie? And who's your hero? What have you been reading about? And, um, and Nathan argued almost every single night. I'm sure there must have been one night when he didn't. But um, there's a reason I was starting this. Why was it? Oh, and as I was praying for Nathan, and, and a friend and I were talking, and I realized that God said to me, I don't want you to love him and to communicate unconditional love to him when he has become more mature and done everything you told him to do. Because that may never be. I want you to love him because he was fearfully and wonderfully made. I want him to know he is loved today no matter what he does, no matter how he argues, because he can't help being who he is. I designed him with a purpose. And if you negate that personality, you are negating me. Do you understand that if you reject the personality that you've been given, you're rejecting the artist who made you? And that's why I would say, don't compare yourself to all of these other children. Don't compare to the mothers. Don't compare your children's development. God wants you to love him with all your heart. And a part of that loving him is saying, thank you that you made me who I am. Thank you that you, no matter what I do, there is nothing that can separate me from your love, neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come. There's nothing that can separate you from God's love. And he said, I will be with you always. Now, the reason I say that is because um, I feel like false guilt, you know, feeling guilty for failing when God already knows that you're going to. It says in the Psalms, he says, I am mindful that you are but dust. He goes, oh, well, Sally's dust. Oh, well, what'd you expect from dust? Um, not really, but he's, he's for us. He loves us. If God is for you, who can be against you? And what I realized in my own motherhood is that loving him with my soul, with my personality, I like blue, I like tea, I like big earrings. Um, I, uh, you know, I like uh, making things beautiful. I like celebrating life. We are hobbits in our house. We eat all the time. Um, we love celebrating life, we, whatever it is. That's who Sally is. I am not great at organizing. My husband is so organized, he safety pins his socks together so they'll be the same age. <laughs> he labels my, our cabinets inside of our kitchen cupboard. Nobody ever pays attention to it, <laughs> unfortunately. But uh, he, So I finally realized, I don't have to be clay, I'm Sally. I, I'm a puppy dog. I'm an encourager and inspirer. Clay is a cat. He calls himself a cat. And God made him to be a good cat. Um, but what I mean is, uh, who you are. Now, the, the problem is, I get letters all the time from women who say, I never heard the words love in my whole life. My husband's mother never told him she loved him, ever. And he went to a counselor, and when he was 27, he went back to his mom and said, Mom, I love you. And she said, well, you know I do too. She said, but I was never taught. And so the most important foundation for your children to want to love God when they're teenagers and for them to want to serve him is you laying a foundation of love because you have been loved by the love of God. Now, I can already see that I don't have much time left, so we're going to rush through. So, love the Lord your God. That, that's the most important thing for you to do as a mom. If you love him, you will be free. God doesn't go, oh, I notice that you're in a bigger size this year. Why didn't you laugh at that? Has, has, has no one in this room ever gained weight? I I have five sizes in my closet because, you know, then I can go up and down. And No, God never says, oh, my gosh, your house. He goes, those kids are a mess, aren't they? Um, 
who you are as you are is who God wants to champion. I have, and I'm, I'm probably going to end with this story. There's so much more that I could say, but that's why I wrote 24 books. Um, anyway, I wish I could go through them and tell you which is about which thing so you could know what's best for you. But um, I have, I, I couldn't do everything I do if I didn't have help. Um, you know, there's an illusion. I, some of you know me, some of you don't. Okay, so I have a podcast, and I have um, an Instagram, and I have a Facebook. All those people who hate social media, you're, that's me. Um, and I write books. I, I still have more books coming. I, I, it's just I'm neurotic. I told you I am. I'm the one who wears out all the cartilage on her bones. Um, just don't make me always have to wash dishes. Um, you know, I'm teasing. I have to wash dishes every day. But um, I, so I have to have assistance. And Amy, hold your hand up because Amy is my dear friend. And Amy is one of my assistants. And I mean, Amy's just the most dependable person in the world. You say, could you do this? And she has it done five minutes later. And Amy, would you mind this? No, I don't mind. And would you come here and do this? Sure, I'll do it. So anyway, Amy's my model for what you're supposed to be. Um, but anyway, so I have, not Amy, but these other friends. And they are... They are women who have survived. My girls have this saying right now that, um, Mom, um, we are tough women. I'm so glad they are. I didn't mean for them to have to live in a world where they would have to be tough, but they are really tough. I, um, I'll end in that story in a minute. But I have one of my assistants who actually will go back to some of my old books, and she'll bring beautiful passages out of them so that I can easily write a blog post. Okay. Her name is Misty, and you'll be hearing from her again more. But Misty's family was so abusive that her father eventually left the mom because the mom beat up the dad. And the mom would, they, they grew up in a trailer, and they would slam Misty. Her mom would catch Misty behind a door, and she would slam the door on Misty. And she belittled her, and, and she made fun of her, and, and she abused her. And so finally, Misty had gotten a full scholarship, because the only place she could excel was in school. And so she went to school, got a full scholarship, but said, I can't stay in the same state my mother anymore. This is terrible. So fast forward, Misty moved to Boston, married. He was 17. She was 20. Do you imagine that their marriage would ever have made it? She is still married today to that man. She found our book. She changed her life. She said, women need to live into the potential. The, the, they have agency to make decisions to flourish. She now has eight children, six grandchildren. Two years ago, she said, I'm going to finish college while she still has four kids at home. She finished college. Now she's getting her master's degree at St. Andrews. She's going to go on and get her PhD because she teaches women's groups. She said, I have built a home, I have raised my children, and now I'm going to go out and change the world. 60 is looking good. My other, one of my other assistants, um, her mom left her when she was one year old. She never knew her mom. Her name is Gretchen. And Gretchen, again, overachiever, became a physician because she was always trying to prove that she was okay. And um, Gretchen said, do you know, I kept trying and trying and trying. No matter what I did, I realized that there was such a big hole in my heart because I'd never been loved. And she said, but when I understood that I was God's chosen vehicle to bring love and grace and beauty and goodness in the world, she quit her doctor's job. She went out and had five children. She started um, Bible studies in every town she's ever been in, and now she writes this membership with me, and she does these things. What I want you to know is you are not defined by your mistakes or by your past or by the reaction of other people. I learned when I would come into the place of hateful people who would hate me or criticize me or judge me, I would go, oh, that looks like a you problem because I am loved right where I am. But the, the reason I said that is because as I look back on my life, I am the least likely person 
I am not terribly talented. I'm not terribly organized. I'm not terribly anything. But I think what happened is God said, I want there to be somebody who's going to go out there and inspire and encourage women because I want them to know they are the civilizers of the world. As a home goes, so goes the world. And he went to 50 women who were much more qualified than me. And they said, I'm sorry, I don't have time. No, I'm not going to do this. No, I'm not confident enough. And finally, he got to me. I was number 50. And he said, I need someone. I guess you'll do. But the, the whole point I want to make is that God uses those whose heart, it says in Scripture, God searches to and fro through the whole world to support those whose heart is completely his. Love the Lord with all your heart. The, the productivity of your life is not measured by what you accomplish, by what your children accomplish, by your marriage or not marriage, by how much stuff you have. But who you are in Christ, a redeemed, a beloved, a beautiful creature, you are like no one else who's ever been born on the earth. And he has called you to serve him in such a way that wherever you go, whatever you do, people will say, you know what? I feel like I was in the presence of the love of God because when I left that friend, my life was more filled. Your children need your love, your acceptance, and your passion for God. My daughter, Sarah, I'll end on this story. Um, you know, I was supposed to be there this year. We got a miraculous visa. You never get visas, ever. And it took forever, and we got a visa. And I have this little house that's wonderful. I'll tell you sometime about it, a fairy house, because all the houses where I live are very old, and they fall apart, and the showers stink, and they have, you know, mold and mildew. And, I mean, that's just kind of what you do. And you call it charming. <laughs> if, if you live in England, you call it charming. And I used to pass this house every day because when Sarah got the scholarship, she said, I can't take this scholarship because I'll have a new baby unless you can come and babysit four hours a week, two times, two hours a week. And I would walk to Sarah's house and I would pass this house and I thought, if I ever live in Oxford again, that's the house I want because it looked newer and it looked like it wasn't falling down and it had a fun little garden in the front of it. That's the house I live in. That's a story in and of itself. But one of the whole reasons I was there this year that God gave me a visa was that I was supposed to be the grandmother of grandmothers, helping her to take care of three children under three, and uh, three and under. And um, so then I got my hip thing, and so I had to abandon her, and she doesn't have any friends. It's a long story. They live out in this very isolated place. She can't drive because they quit giving driver's licenses during COVID. So she has three children by herself. Her husband works 70 hours a week in another city, and she's by herself there. And one day she wrote me and she said, you know what, we are fierce women, Mom. She said, I finally realized her little girl is now three months. And she said, I went out one morning and I said, we are going to pick blackberries today. We are going to make blackberry jam. We are going to make scones. We are going to have fun if it kills us. And... I've just watched her go, you know, this, this, you know how it's like to have three children under three. But I have watched her push up her arms and she said, you know, I just wish people knew that if they lived in the love of God, God would give them the strength that they need to live a hard life. Living a life for the excellency of God, because he is an excellent God, is never going to be easy it's going to be harder than you thought. It's going to require more love than you thought. It's going to require more servant leadership than you thought. It required a lot from Christ. But if you push up your sleeves and say, I am yours, I have a lifetime to learn your love. I have a lifetime of learning how to give light. But I am your girl. And I want to be one of those who brings civilizing love and light and beauty in the world because you are my God. So that's my prayer for you. It's not who you are. It's not what personality you have. It's not what story you had. It's understanding that God is with you. God companions you. God loves you. And you are designed by him to bring civilization and beauty into the world. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I just, what an honor and privilege it is to be with these precious women 
Um, Lord, I know that every single one of them has a story, and I'm sure that probably most of them are tired. But I would just pray, Father, today that in the quietness of their hearts, they might be filled with your peace, with your unconditional love, with your forgiveness, with your vision for their lives. Help them to celebrate life, to see the beauty, to understand that you care deeply about their needs, that you want to be the God who, as you walk in the garden with them, will take care of them. Bless them to become those civilizers, beauty makers, Christ lovers, that our world might move in the direction of worshiping you and bringing your virtue to bear in our world. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I told Holly, I, what time is it? It really is time. Okay, I'm so sorry I have another meeting pretty soon. Um, this is my first time out. Actually, I was out on Monday. It's so nice to be out again. Anyway, um, any questions that are just, you're dying to ask me? Um, yeah, I would love to know more about, the question on my heart is how to pray your children into their destiny. I'm so sorry, I can't hear you. The question on my heart is how, how do you pray your children into their destinies? And how does hindsight, like... You've mentioned a few times about looking back, how you realize like different giftings or personalities that your children have. How did you work towards that, towards prayer, towards their future? Do you know, I, again, Jesus was my ponder, and he went to uneducated, willful Peter, and he said, Peter, you're my rock. And he went to Thomas and said, Thomas, you are a man in whom there is no guile. And he said about the centurion, um, your faith is going to be told through all generations. And so I thought, okay, so I need to speak forward into my children's lives. You know, I know this has been a hard situation, but what if through this situation God uses you to bring humility and compassion to other people because you know how it hurts to have people reject you? Or what? You're, you're practicing the piano so well. What if you become the musician who, you know, whatever. So I, you know, it's having your devotions, calling your children to the love and the goodness of Christ. And then it's, you have to have individual time. The reason I home educated my children is because I had so much I wanted to teach them and love them in and tell them about. doesn't matter if you homeschool or not. Everybody's story is different. But I knew that Jesus spent lots of personal time with his disciples. He fed them, he laughed with them, he walked on water with them, he spoke into their lives. And I feel like relationship and being very intentional about loving them for who they are. And then, you know, Nathan, I said, when he was seven years old, he said, Mama, I am Superman. Superman came from another world to redeem the world, to help it, to save it. I'm going to save the world, Mom. So I just started building on Superman. I said, you are, you have the muscle of Superman. You just have to decide to exercise it. And so it's speaking, loving. You know, I used to bribe my boys because I would take them out for breakfast when they turned about 15. One of them liked high-fat stuff. The other one liked, you know, low-fat, low-carbs. And I would take them where they wanted to, and I would just, you know, listen to their music, and then I would say, now look at my eyes. I've got something to tell you. So, you know, you bribe them in order to speak into their lives when they're teenagers. Um, you know, they, they want you to like them and, and, and believe forward in the person they're becoming. I don't know if that helps, but we write about that in some of these books. One more question, and then I've got to leave. I'm so sorry. I wonder if you could speak to sibling rivalry in the home and it just feels so hard to keep a peaceful home and awake in wonder when your kids are fighting have you I know have you read this or have you done this no. with your children no. I'm just doing a series and a podcast on this um training 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 um this has 24 ways that were the clarkson's ways we love one another you know we serve one another we do this with one another and has devotions about it but i never knew if my kids would like each other you know but i i was a trainer i didn't let it go i said you know look at my eyes how could you have said that differently um you have a choice to make if you choose 
to be mean to your sister, you will be writing a hundred verses out. Would you rather do that? Or would you rather go out and play with everyone? And then um, one of my friends taught me the peacemaking couch. You have your children sit on the couch and they have to sit there until they can ask for forgiveness and pray together. Um, but it's, it's it, whatever you do, it doesn't matter. There are no formulas to training. It's just that you have to do it. It is God's will. And, you know, you have a choice to make. You can either stay inside all day if you continue to fuss. If you choose to bless your sibling, you're going to be the one who's going to be honored. So you, you don't let it go, and you don't nag them and yell at them. You just make consequences. What is our 24 family way about loving one another? Were you loving? Did you say that in the best way? I don't care who is right. God doesn't care if you're right or not. He wants you to serve him. You say these words. You go back to the thing. Sometimes you have them write it down. Sometimes you have them write an essay about it. Um, you know, they're a little bit too young, younger ones. But you say, in our home, we are, going to, we are called to love, and we're going to keep that as the standard. And you can either choose to obey that, or there will be consequences. You can do consequences when they're little. That's when you want to train them to love. But, um, you know, I'm just shocked at how much my kids love each other now. You know, they, you need to give them time to grow. Just because they aren't responding at that moment doesn't mean they're not paying attention. But you're, you love them. You know, I said I want you to love one another. You know, that's not the most effective way. We've all done it. Um, so y'all have done it too, huh? Anyway, but um, it's training and just be patient. Your kids are listening to you. Um, and yeah, it is, you know, you feel like one day I bought all my kids donuts and, you know, they came in. I thought, I'm going to bless you today before we start our day. And then they start fussing about who got the pink sprinkles and who got the chocolate sprinkles. And I said, well, we're not going to have donuts today then, you know. I went in and ate them all. No, I didn't. But um, anyway, it's, it's over and over and over. The fact that they are arguing is because they are sinful, just like you are, just like your husband is. That's why Jesus came. But you're going to train into them loving people, accepting people, forgiving people. And it will happen, I promise. But you need this book. Thank you. All right. Well, it's, it's really been fun being with you all today. And thank you for letting me be here. And I, I'm so grateful for Holly for all the ways that she has continued to teach and give and work and She's one of my dearest friends in the world. Thank you, Sally, for being here so much today. We love your encouragement and your wisdom and just sharing your life with us. So Sally's got to get out of here pretty quickly, but um, we're going to go into our discussion time. So there's questions at your table, um, or you can, table leaders, feel free to bring up other questions that you guys want to delve into today. Um, Janelle and I are going to be back at this book table. So we've got a sampling of Sally's books, a couple that she's mentioned we don't have, but you could get those elsewhere. But um, we'll be here at the back. So if any of you want to slip out a discussion and come back and talk to us. I can tell you a little bit about all the books back here if you're like, I want to get something, but I'm not sure which one would be the right one for me. So please come and talk to me and I will make an announcement about 1125 to go pick up kids. So I will. SallyClarkson.com, Sally.Clarkson on Instagram. You can find me everything at SallyClarkson.com that might be of encouragement to you. Oh, my podcast is called At Home with Sally. Is that what it's called? <laughs> I, have a, I have a membership also. A membership is called Life with Sally, At, uh, at Home with Sally. I, you have to know that it's not me that named all these things. <laughs> my assistants all said, it should be Sally so people will know it is. And so, whatever. Anyway. All right. We can launch into discussion. <laughs>